Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews, that is you, and Zara McDonald, that is also you. That is not... What? No. Like, I'm trying to... <laughs> ahoy there. Ahoy. Oh, you're mixing it up too. This is far. I hear that Hamish and Andy say ahoy at the start of every episode, so ahoy. Oh my God, don't copy Hamish and Andy. You're never going to beat them. Coming up on the show, <laughs> Katie Holmes's Bradigan, Scarlett Johansson's consistent foot and mouth disease, and the Man Repeller article on age, success, and career that piqued our interest this week. But first, Michelle, how was your week? Look, I'm going to say it was a fine week because as soon as you've asked me that question, I can't remember a single day of this week. I don't know what we've done all week. I think I felt a little bit run down for a bit of it and then I procrastinated for a lot of it and now I've blinked my eyes and we're at the end of the week about to begin a new one. Happy Monday to everyone. And I have no idea what I've done with any of my time. No, it was a blur week. It was absolutely a blur week where you actually cannot separate the days into different things. Absolutely. I think I'm just in a bit of like a slump. Which is weird because spring has just started. I was going to say, this is so at odds with the last two times you have said hello on this podcast, which is, oh my God, the sun is shining, you know the what bees this are is? out, save the bees. You know what this is? That is how you speak, by there the way. There are no bees in the bush today. You know what this is a case of? Like when athletes gear up for the grand final oh my and their entire career is gearing up to a grand final. My grand final was spring. I got to the grand final. I won my spring prize and now it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be and I'm in my slump. That's what happened to athletes on the same okay two things that was a pretty spectacularly terrible analogy and secondly you are nothing like an athlete (laughs) (gasps) I I mean yeah that's fair enough I'm not even gonna argue with that I do have a recommendation me I think everyone listening to this podcast should go over and subscribe to squiz shortcuts don't start listening to squiz shortcuts just yet because you need to listen to this entire episode of shameless please but do subscribe and go listen after this episode because, as you guys know, we love the Squiz. They do a weekday news podcast that explains the headlines in a really succinct and helpful way. They've now got Squiz Shortcuts, which is like a deeper dive on an individual news story that is super helpful. And there's one on Brexit that I definitely recommend you all listen to because Brexit is royally fucked up. In my defense, I have recommended a Brexit explainer and a Royal Commission explainer on this podcast and you have shouted me down to the point where I've had to cower. Yeah, because first of all, Royal, even, <laughs> even the ladies at the Squiz could explain the Royal Commission to me and I wouldn't listen, whereas Brexit, I'm on board. In fairness, the Squiz do some great stuff and I'm really enjoying their Squiz shortcuts. It's a little bit more of a localized version of the daily and I can't get enough of that stuff, which is amazing. Absolutely. How was your week, Miss Zara McDonald? My week was a blur too. I actually have no idea what I did. Did you walk through a bush on your way here? You've got a little bit of a... Why do this always Maybe like to me? flora and fauna. Not No, not fauna. Fauna's animals, isn't it? You've got a bit of flora stuck to your jumper. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened. This is literally the story of my life. The like paraphernalia I, of living I, Zara McDonald's life. Like I have no idea what I do any of the time. <laughs> Um, my week was a blur, so I literally cannot comment on any of it. I don't even have a recommendation. You banned me from re-recommending the things that I recommended in the newsletter. Can I share a Zazzle Frazzle story? That's not even a nickname. It's Frazzle Zazzle. I'm really nervous. Remember when we were doing that interview last week and you were chewing on a pen or something happened with a pen? <laughs> when the interviewee walked out, you looked at yourself in a mirror and realized that, <laughs> that while was- we were interviewing them, ink was just spreading its way across your chin. 
like, are you done? Remember that? That was fun. I'm wondering if you're done. <laughs> I'm done. Yes, I remember that. And it wasn't my finest moment, <laughs> though none of my moments are particularly fine. Um, my recommendation, I mean, apart from the profile that I recommended in the newsletter, which Michelle is banning me from re-recommending, it was on Renee Zeltwinger, by the way, it was in Vulture if you want to go read it, about her lost decade because she did disappear from Hollywood for a very long time. But that's not me re-recommending, I'm just stating what I recommended. What's the point in having a recommendations newsletter if you're just going to rehash everything on the podcast? In my defence, I'm not reading or watching or listening to much at the moment. Like, truthfully, we don't have a lot of time. You're running through bushes. I'm getting ink all over your face. (laughs) You're a busy, busy gal. (laughs) Yep. Anyway, I went to a play the other day. Cultured of you. Very cultured, very unlike me, but it was really good. It was called Come From Away. It is playing in Melbourne. I really couldn't tell you if it was playing elsewhere, but if you're in Melbourne and you are interested in being cultured like me, (laughs) Michelle's not, I would really recommend going to see it. It's about a little town in Canada that housed a lot of the planes that had to ground themselves in the wake of 9-11. And it's like this remarkable story of this tiny, tiny town that pulled together to look after all of these passengers for like three days. That is incredible. With no resources. It was amazing. It was like the most wholesome thing I've seen in a very, very long time. I would really recommend going to see that if you're in Melbourne and if it's in other cities, you can perhaps Google, (laughs) even even though I know I should have. Am I cutting that out? No. As Zara went to finish that explanation, she lifted up her mug and dropped a coaster on the floor and then tipped tea all over the table. No, it's on my hand too. Are you okay? I'm fine. Shall we talk live show tickets though, Michelle? Yes, we should. Guys, we were blown away on Tuesday last week. You guys sold out our Brisbane live show in three minutes. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. I literally refreshed our thing and they were basically all gone. Yes, exactly. And do trust us. It wasn't a small show. This Brisbane show is bigger than our first Melbourne show. So it wasn't like we underestimated how many tickets we needed. You guys are just crazily supportive and we could not be more thankful. So Sydney, you are next tomorrow at 12pm. Your tickets are going on sale. The links will be in our Facebook group. They'll be on our Instagram stories. I would recommend putting your alarm on a little before 12 now because they seem to go by 12.02. Absolutely. And there is a difference between the Sydney show and the Brisbane show. The Sydney show has allocated seating. So if you're going with your friends, please book together. Get in a group chat, figure out who's going to be buying the tickets and how many you need. There will also be a transaction fee. So you'll be able to minimize that to like a dollar each if you book together. Yeah, I would really, really recommend booking in groups where you can. Also, we can absolutely let a thread through on the Facebook group if there are a whole bunch of single people going to the Shameless Sydney show that may want to book together to minimize transaction fees or to sit together to meet people. We can absolutely do that too. So that is tomorrow at 12 p.m. Shall we get into the show, Michelle? Let's do it. I want to talk about Katie Holmes's Bradigan. Care to elaborate. Okay, so if you guys missed this, a photo of Katie Holmes hailing a cab went viral last week with the likes of Harper's Bazaar, The Cut, Who, What, Where, Man Repeller, and Marie Claire. I nailed it, didn't I? Fuck yes, I nailed it! Marie Claire dedicating entire articles to her magical outfit. Are you right? <laughs> that was pretty breathing. good. That was the first time I've ever gotten that right on the first go. In fairness, it's like one of those things that's almost impossible to get right now, now that it's ingrained in you. Do you know what my version of Marie Claire is? What? Apart from Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> Which, by the way, I got so many DMs saying that they pronounce it like that too, is I cannot for the life of me spell calendar. <laughs> you and can't. You can't. Every time you misspell it, it gives me an aneurysm. It's like one of those things that I can't actually get into my brain and I would like to consider myself an okay speller. Spell it right now. No, I can't. Spell it. Zara, I can't spell it. I'm spell do- calendar. Do I would it. never put you on the Marie Claire spot. I would never do that you. have you. in the past. 
calendar. C A L E N D E R. No, A R. Yeah, this is the issue, right? Yeah. And I'm not. I would. Ho- I would like to think that I'm not an idiot, but maybe I just am. Do you know what? B- before we get into the Bridegan story, the word that used to get me every single time was addict. I used to say addict. And people are like, no, you mean drug addict. Can and he's we, like, drug addict. Can we, can we put a thread in the Facebook group? It's like the word you either always spell wrong or pronounce wrong and cannot for the life of you fix. I, or, oh, this is a separate idea as well. Maybe we could have a couple of threads. The word that you didn't know you were pronouncing wrong for like 10 years. Like my brother had the best one where, you know the word awry? He had always pronounced it awry. Oh, no. <laughs> And got to like 24 and realized it's like my favorite thing to find out. There was a friend of mine who mispronounced the word placebo. She used to read out place <laughs> Okay, my mum used to tell this story. Sorry. My mum used to tell this story of when her friend, mum, this is probably like a lie of a story. You know, it's like an urban legend, but I think it's really funny. Like Robert Patterson with the clown. <laughs> yeah, Robert Patterson with the clown. Mum used to tell this story of how one of her friends was reading in class and instead of reading mince pies, she read <laughs> mince seppies. <laughs> <laughs> These are so funny because everybody has one, right? Oh my god, Michelle's lost it. I can't believe Trisha never told you about Minseppi's. Oh my god, I need to pause this recording. Oh my god, I've got like tears in my eyes. That's amazing. That's way better than place. I know. Okay, wait. Okay. Okay, so let's talk about this story for a second. We've paused the recording. Michelle has pulled herself together. Let's talk about just, Katie, yes. just. Let's talk about Katie Holmes though, because I am always very intrigued about the things that go viral. Remember when we did that segment on hummus? Yes, yes. Yeah, and we are very. I am genuinely very intrigued about the machinations of what makes something explode Absolutely. on the internet. Like, what mood does it tap into? With this one, what do you think it was about Katie Holmes? Can you a describe me the photo, and then b tell me what it was about the photo that you think exploded so much? Yes. Yeah, so as I said earlier, she was hailing a cab, but it was her outfit that went viral so it was an oatmeal colored knit bra and matching sweater from kate a new york based brand getting a lot of attention and a lot of publicity lately the bra and sweater combo were both made of this baby soft i'll put that in quotations i think this is straight from the pr's mouth (laughs) baby soft cashmere the bra retails for a cool $520 in USD. In Australian dollars, that's 763 bucks for those playing at home. The cardigan retailed for over $1,500. Yeah, so not cheap. But it is genuinely like the most delicately, subtly extra outfit I've ever seen. And mm-hmm. I wonder if that's what it really tapped into. It's like this beautiful cashmere bra. Who the fuck wears a cashmere bra worth $800? Like it is like the most leisure thing in the entire world. It absolutely is. But when you look at it, it doesn't look immediately out there it's like a very cool laid back relaxed look and I think the reason this went so well is because of the mood that wraps around this entire story Katie Holmes has just broken up with her long-term boyfriend Jamie Foxx and this is her return to singledom this is kind of the first photo we've seen of her since she came out of this relationship and she looks amazing so it's kind of like that bounce back narrative where it's like yeah you might consider me down in the dumps especially considering by the by Jamie Jamie Foxx is supposedly dating a 19-year-old lingerie model who's younger than his daughter. I know. It's not confirmed. Those are the rumours. There were photos of him holding hands with a 19-year-old lingerie model. Right. Just friends, of course. He says that he's her mentor. (laughs) (laughs) which of course you are Jamie anyway I mean if that's a mentor hashtag me too but sure yeah the narrative was was that Katie Holmes was this poorly done by downtrodden woman who had been left by her boyfriend when really she stepped out on the streets looking carefree and fan-fucking-tastic 
and everyone's all about it. Is there a bit of like a hot girl summer to this? This is hot girl autumn. Oh. Because isn't cashmere the ultimate transitional fabric? Like in America, they're going from summer to autumn. She's stepped out in Easy, breezy, beautiful cashmere. All and right, she looks, cover girl, Mrs. Spokesperson. <laughs> and she looks amazing. This bra sold out in an hour after photos were shared online. It's a beautiful bra, but I'm astounded that people have that much disposable cash to be able to throw at it. I have to say, I hate us for analysing this to the nth degree, but we absolutely will. There are so many layers of like treat yourself to this photo, yep. don't you think? And I also think there is a huge element of enigma to Katie Holmes, right? After marrying Tom Cruise and entering into that incredibly dare I say, fucked up marriage to him and then going into the relationship with Jamie Foxx, but that being under wraps for like five years. I think that that fact matters hugely in this case as to why the photo was so well received because we actually don't really know anything about Katie Holmes at all in the last 10 years. We know nothing from her and I think we can project a whole character on her because of that. This will sound incredibly hyperbolic, but it's almost like because of the Tom Cruise backdrop to Katie Holmes' life, it's kind of like this sisterly feeling that we're all wrapping our arms around her. Like we all want Katie Holmes to do well. Tom Cruise is a bit of a unique cat and that's putting it lightly. And then she went through all the drama and all the headlines that came with that divorce. And then she's come out of this relationship and there's the storyline of the younger girlfriend. I think people genuinely want Katie Holmes to thrive. And there was a great quote in the Cuts piece by Madeline Agler that said, wearing a bra out as a top announces to the world that you're not just surviving, you're thriving, that you're living out loud, that your chest once hidden away in the folds of monogamy is finally free and so are you. I mean, there's a lot of uh, stretching when it comes to quotes like that. of course. There always is, but there is a fundamental that you can't ignore, which is if you are wearing a cashmere bra out, you have some level of self-assuredness. Yes. And I think that's why it's been so highly celebrated because you're clearly doing okay or projecting to the world that you're doing okay if you can do that, because I certainly can't. I also think we can go back and forth on multiple theories about why something may go viral when it does mm. and why something might capture a mood or attention. But I do think the bedrocks of this come down to hotness. Like she looks hot, right? She looks hot in a way that isn't trying too hard. She doesn't have a whole heap of makeup on. She is a little girl next door about it. I don't think she has any makeup on. She's got a pair of sunglasses on her head and she's got her hair in a low messy bun. So there are elements of cool girl to this. Like she's hot but casual, self-assured but not snobby. And I think we like that, particularly in the wake of a breakup. Like I hate to say this, I hate it, but it is that, mood of living your best life yeah she is living her best life i don't hate that at all i I love that (laughs) no what do you mean you hate that we're definitely reading too much into this but i'm obsessed with this story i'm obsessed with this bra i am curious would you wear a cashmere bra if yes what price would you put on it? Oh, what I would, would you totally pay? wear a cashmere bra. But not one for $763. Probably wouldn't pay more than 100 but even then, why would I spend $100 on a bra? Would, would you wear a bra out with a cardigan over the top where you could see the bra? Because I probably, I I would have to be in the best mood ever. I'm not cool enough by any stretch. Oh, but you're cooler than me. Yeah, you're not cool Fuck, enough Fuck, then either. I can't do it. Neither of us are cool enough Well, for I'll it. never be self-assured enough to ever wear a bra <laughs> around now. Severe. You just shot my confidence. Having severe self-esteem issues over here. (laughs) Go, Katie. I love it. Thank you, next bitch. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we give you the top five news stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara, Elise, Alice, Alice McDonald. Take it away. Alice McDonald. My first story, Nicki Minaj says she's retiring to have my family. That is from news.com.au. I will clarify. She's not having your family. She's having her family. (laughs) I literally read that. 
People understand. Yeah, they do. She has a very controversial fiancé. Have you read much about Nicki Minaj's relationship? No, and I, it's unclear whether they're married or not at the moment. Yeah, so they've taken out two marriage licences in the past. The first one expired before they actually got married. They recently got a new one and said they're going to get married within the next month or two. Nicki Minaj is going to be marrying Kenneth Zhu Petty. He has been convicted of attempted rape when he was 15 of a 16-year-old who was his girlfriend at the time. He's also pled guilty to manslaughter and has spent many, many a year in prison. Wow. Is that why his middle name is Zoo? I don't know why his middle name is Zoo, but an interesting choice of life partner, that's for sure. And whenever people come to Nicki Minaj and say that she's dating a potentially dangerous man who only got out of jail a few years ago, she argues that the attempted rape case isn't that important because it was his girlfriend at the time, is that which what is she just says? the most baffling and befuddling and ridiculous line of argument that I've ever heard. Yeah, that is really, really strange. So she's quit music, she says. I can't imagine her quitting forever, though. Like, I feel like there's a tiny bit of I'm stepping away for a little bit. I'm going to have my family. I'm interested in whether a lot of people think that these two things can coexist because they often do. They always do. Women have careers and have families. It is interesting in 2019 that she wants to do one and not the other. Dare I say I think this is Nicki Minaj shooting from the hip because it was a tweet that this was announced in and a pretty uh, strongly worded tweet at that. But when her reps were contacted, they didn't want to comment on it. So it doesn't exactly sound like this has been the most thought out career move in the world. It might be something that she tweeted out and didn't necessarily put a bunch of thought into. There is also an element of being a musician who publicly says they're taking time out so that they can build hype again when they yes, relaunch. Absolutely. Which I would not be surprised if this was part of it. Number two, holy shit, Neighbours is going full Riverdale with a high school spin-off that is from Pedestrian. I just can't believe When was the last time you watched Neighbours? I did not realise Neighbours was still even a show. Yes, because we've had this conversation because we said, can you refer to someone who acts on Neighbours as Neighbours Star? Because I said Neighbours Star. Oh, that's so true. We did. Anyway, Neighbours is running the spin-off series, which will be five episodes called Neighbours, Erinsborough High. I completely forgot Erinsborough is the suburb in Neighbours, where it will focus on a group of year 12 students whose final exam preparations are interrupted by the disappearance of a popular student. I mean, I must say, I'm pretty stoked that Australian TV has the budget to be doing its own things. I'm just surprised that they thought there was appetite for this. Well, Riverdale has done kind of well. I think Riverdale did really well in the US for the first season or two and then kind of tapered off with its ratings and stuff, I will be very interested to see if many people tune into this Erinsborough High series. And where they will choose to air it, I think that will be very interesting. You're going to put this on free-to-air TV. You're just going to put this on streaming services online. It should just be on 10 Play, surely. You'd, you'd absolutely think so, but we will have to wait and see. Number three, Crazy Rich Asians co-writer Exit Sequel Amid Pay Disparity Dispute. That is from The Hollywood Reporter. I will be brutally honest, I haven't clicked on this story because... I kind of read it and was like, that's horrifying, if true. Have you seen it around, though? I've seen it around. What I've seen is that her male co-writers were on pay packets that were maybe like five, six, seven times what hers was. So there's two writers who adapted the Kevin Kwan book for the Crazy Rich Asians screenplay. So Adele Lim was one of them, and the other one was a guy by the name of Peter Chiarelli, and I'm not so good at name, name pronunciation, so I very well could have massacred that. <laughs> anyway, Adele Lim has left the project because she says her co-writer was being paid like between eight and ten times the amount that she was paid. Wow. She told The Hollywood Reporter who broke this story that being evaluated that 
way can't help but make you feel like that is how they view your contributions. She also went on to say that she believes women and people of colour are often regarded as soy sauce, hired to sprinkle culturally specific details on a screenplay rather than credited with the substantive work of crafting the story. So she didn't give details on the numbers, like on the pay itself, Mm -hmm. though I would imagine that someone has leaked it, if not her. She just doesn't want to say that she has. Wow. Where her co-writer was reportedly paid about 800 grand for this or 800 grand to a million and she was paid about $110,000. Oh, my God. Like it is a staggering pay gap. Can you imagine working alongside a male colleague and then after the work is done finding out that he was paid up to 10 times more than you were. That is staggering and it would feel it would just be sickening to feel like you were undervalued to that degree to do the same work. Especially in a film like Crazy Rich Asians which has celebrated such a beautifully diverse Asian cast. It's been one of the first real blockbusters with a full Asian cast that's gone gangbusters at the box office that we have as a collective really supported mm. for Adele Lim who is the co-writer of that to not be there in the second movie is so so terrible not just as a person of color but as a woman too. Absolutely. That's horrifying. Number four, Charlie Tear responds to Story questioning his behavior and ethics by referring it to lawyers. That is from The Guardian. That is not a celebrity or pop culture story. But I have to say, Michelle, it went wild in our Facebook group. So we thought we should acknowledge it here. It absolutely did. So this was something where we were tossing up Zara whether or not to do it as a main segment. That's how much controversy and commentary and conversation was happening in our Facebook group this week about the Charlie Tiro story. Ultimately, we decided to do it here because it's not celebrity and it's not pop culture. But the way people read the original story, which is in the Sydney Morning Herald, written by Kate McClymont, was that they approached it with this real sense of scepticism and of fake news even. Yeah, so Kate McClymont spent weeks on this story investigating Charlie Digger, who, if you don't know who he is, he is a very, very well-regarded brain surgeon in Australia arguably the most recognized brain surgeon in the country. He performs surgeries that nobody else wants to touch. Mm -hmm. And this story alleged through uh, 14 sources, whether they be neurosurgeons or nurses or people who have worked alongside Teo, that he engaged in some allegedly inappropriate behavior. Um, There were allegations of sexual misconduct thrown around too. The thing about this story that really surprised both you and I is the scepticism, as you say, of the media when the story dropped. Mm -hmm. I think Charlie Teo has some incredible supporters, some very loyal supporters, and you can absolutely understand why. He's saving lives. People are absolutely going to have a really emotional response to this story. But a lot of people in our Facebook group in particular, which really surprised me, commented saying, don't believe everything you read, almost initially. Like that initial dismissal was very loud. Yeah, the response to this story angered me in that I felt that lots of people were commenting without reading the article at hand. And I think that is hugely problematic in that if we're not even giving the story the time of day, if we're not reading from start to finish, how can we possibly weigh in with a valid opinion? I think we absolutely have to, in the case of stories like this one, open our minds to both sides of the argument, read the story in full, look at who the journalist is who has written it, look at the publication. Was it a new idea? No, it wasn't. It was in the Sydney Morning Herald, one of the most well-regarded publications in the country. And to that, lots of the people in our Facebook group came back and said, well, Charlie Teo is well-regarded. Why why don't we look at that when we talk about allegations against him? He's absolutely well-regarded as a brain surgeon. Of course, he's amazing and talented at his job, but ultimately that doesn't mean that he is immune from sexual misconduct allegations and we should take those seriously. I mean, I want to talk about this later in the episode when we talk about Scarlett Johansson, but 
when women accuse someone of sexual misconduct, we owe it to them to listen, regardless of how good they are at their job. Like we keep saying, there are allegations and we will not know who was right and who was wrong. But I think what staggered me in our Facebook group this week was this conversation around, well, these sources could be fake. And I think there's, there's a huge knowledge gap, clearly, with regards to how the media operates, particularly a journalist like Kate McClymont, particularly in a publication like the Sydney Morning Herald, where she is not putting these sources on paper if she has not spoken to them. Mm-hmm. Like I can fundamentally say that. That is true. Whether what they say is true is a completely different thing and that is not for me to comment on particularly because we'd probably get sued if we did, Michelle. As a bit of background as well, I think it's really important for people to note that a story like this would have been looked over and poured over by a team of lawyers before it went out who would have been checking and fact-checking and all of those uh, measures would have been put in place. This is not a tabloid story and I think we really need to make a distinction between tabloid media outlets and legitimate news investigative reporting outlets in cases like this. Could it be true? Could it be false? That's up to you guys to decide. But please decide after doing the reading and after doing your own critical research. Number five, a sexist tweet about Kirsten Dunst has led to a hilarious meme celebrating versatile female actors. Congratulations to Kirsten Dunst for being in Shameless two weeks running. I was going to say, she who had not heard of Kirsten Dunst in five years suddenly snakes in a little <laughs> Kirsten Dunst story. By the way, for old time's sake, I would love to refer to her as Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. So anyway, as we know, Kirsten Dunst got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, recognising her iconic contributions to TV and film. Reuters went on to tweet out Kirsten Dunst, best known for her role as Spider-Man's girlfriend, which obviously sparked massive backlash. Kirsten Dunst has done much more than just play Spider-Man's girlfriend. Also, so, just what odd wording anyway. Yeah, it's very, very weird. So what a whole bunch of women on Twitter did is started writing tweets to illustrate just how versatile actresses in Hollywood like Kirsten Dunst are. So the first tweet that went up that had 52,000 likes was, Kirsten Dunst could do Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but Leonardo DiCaprio could not do Bring It On. I love these tweets. I've seen them everywhere. They are very, very good. Some of my favorites amy adams could do the godfather but al pacino could not do enchanted what about this one anne hathaway could do american psycho but christian bale couldn't do princess Diaries. (laughs) (laughs) it's so true though when you think about it like how many amazing roles these women can play that are both lowbrow and highbrow that you can't really imagine these male actors doing or julie andrews could do terminator but arnold schwarzenegger couldn't do mary poppins Like Arnold could not do Mary Poppins. I can say that confidently. It's just so good. So I really highly recommend you go and look at those. Another one is Britney Spears could do future sex love sounds, but Justin Timberlake could not do blackout. (laughs) I think that is all for the quick and dirty. I cannot wait for us to talk about Kirsten Dunst next week. Kirsten Dunst. Kirsten Dunst. Thank you so much. This week, Hollywood actress and the Royal Highness of Terrible Takes, Scarlett Johansson, stirred up controversy again and made headlines around the world again. This time, the 34-year-old announced that despite abuse allegations against filmmaker and director Woody Allen, she will continue to work with him. I love Woody, I believe him, and I would work with him any time, Johansson told The Hollywood Reporter. Cue a global Twitter storm. Zara, before we get into Scarlett Johansson's relationship with controversy more generally, I do want to ask you, if Scarlett Johansson believes Woody Allen is innocent, does she have a right to publicise that globally? Yes, she absolutely does, but in the same vein, we have a right to push back. Mm. I think those two things can be true at the one time. I think that we should firstly acknowledge too why we keep referring to her as Scarlett Johansson where there is much Scarlett Johansson commentary going on in the world too. Michelle, we did a lot of Googling before we came on to this segment. We did. And it appears Scarlett Johansson pronounces it Scarlett Johansson. So we will be using Joe in this segment. 
with sprinklings of yo because I'll probably forget. <laughs> Absolutely. What do you think though? Do you think that is true that she can, she does have a right to publicize her thoughts about Woody Allen to the world, her belief in him? I think she needs to be more self-aware when she does so. I think she's doing it in a really erroneous way right now. For those who are confused, let's give a little bit of context into the Woody Allen story for those who need to be caught up. So Mia Farrow and Woody Allen were in a 12-year-long relationship and had three children together. Two of those children were adopted. One was biological. The assault that is alleged to have taken place was between Woody Allen and his adopted daughter, Dylan. Woody Allen, at the same time as this story was kind of breaking, also emerged as been having an affair with one of Mia Farrow's other adoptive daughters, Soon Yi. Allen alleged that the affair prompted Mia Farrow to concoct the Dylan assault allegation as an act of vengeance. However, as Dylan has grown up into an adult now, she maintains her story that she was assaulted by her stepfather and has written such in the New York Times. She has also been supported by her mother, Mia Farrow, and her brother, the very high-profile journalist Ronan Farrow, who broke a lot of those Harvey Weinstein stories back in 2017. Absolutely. It was only a few years ago that Dylan Farrow wrote a blistering open letter for the New York Times. And this was the opening, Zara. I'm going to read it out because this is one of the most disarming uh, opening paragraphs to an article that I've ever read. What's your favorite Woody Allen movie, Dylan wrote? Before you answer, you should know. When I was seven years old, Woody Allen took me by the hand and led me into a dim, closet-like attic on the second floor of our house. He told me to lay on my stomach and play with my brother's electric train set. Then he sexually assaulted me. So those are the allegations at hand. We've kind of reached a point after all of these decades where nobody really knows where they stand. That said, the allegations are pretty strong and there are a bunch of people who now refuse to work with Woody Allen because of it. Yeah, it's a bit of a stalemate. The authorities said there was insufficient evidence to press charges. So it's kind of a he said, she said scenario. It certainly is. So when Scarlett Johansson comes to play and says, hey, I love Woody, I would work with him again, that is obviously going to stir up a bunch of controversy in Hollywood. This is the thing that surprises me, I guess, when it comes to Scarlett Johansson, is that she has been in many media storms in the last couple of years, in the last couple of months in particular. And she's not going to be an idiot. Like she will know exactly what's going to stir controversy. She must not give a shit. So for a little bit of background here, the Scarlett Johansson's controversy did start when she received criticism for her leading role in Ghost in the Shell, which was an adaption of the classic anime and where she played an Asian child that relocated to a Caucasian body, right? Mm -hmm. And there was understandable uproar about that because it was a role that absolutely should have been given to a Japanese actor or actress. She then signed up for another movie called Rub and Tug. She was due to play a trans man for so many obvious reasons. People are like, there are so few roles for trans people in the industry, so few opportunities for trans people in the industry. Why is Scarlett Johansson taking this role? Yeah. She eventually pulled back on that after huge amounts of pressure, but not before doing an interview in, in July with the As If magazine, where she said she should be allowed to play any person or any tree or any animal because that is my job and that is the requirements of my job. So she's pushing back against this supposedly overly politically correct industry where she can't do whatever the fuck she wants. Mm. As you can totally understand, people aren't happy with that because it shows a number of blind spots. It shows a total lack of self-awareness. It shows a total lack of awareness for her privilege. And then she comes in here and says that she supports Woody Allen, shows a little bit of hypocrisy when she's one of the founders of the Time's Up movement in Hollywood. Absolutely. I think it also says a lot about 
ego. It's Especially the Woody Allen stuff. There was an amazing tweet that went viral from John Lovett, who is the host of Pod Save America, which is a great podcast about American politics. He wrote, what a judge of character Scarlett Johansson must believe herself to be, so capable of knowing when she is being deceived or not. It's the kind of arrogance you have to really hone over many years. And I think that's accurate because what Scarlett Johansson has come forward and said is that she has known Woody Allen for more than a decade. She has worked with him very closely and therefore her personal relationship with him and her friendship must prove prove that he didn't assault his stepdaughter. I think that's a really interesting and flawed line of reasoning to take because here's the thing, it's very egotistical to assume that your experience with a person is indicative of everyone's experience with that person. I think Scarlett Johansson coming forward and saying Woody Allen must be correct and must be telling her the truth also negates anything that Dylan Farrow has said and it's really going against the grain of saying, listen to women. And Scarlett Johansson was the person to stand up at the women's rallies for Me Too and Time's Up. And it seems that she will only stand for feminism, only stand for women's voices when it suits her. As soon as the allegations come against a man that she likes and that she knows personally, she'll back down and act as if women are lying and as if women are telling these stories because they want, I don't know, some kind of weird retribution. Well, it's like you want to support me too in theory, but not in reality, right? And I think as one of the founding members of Time's Up, I am very interested in her role there. I do think this speaks to a pretty common predicament, particularly for people in Hollywood. When you come out publicly and support the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement, what actually happens when you're faced with the possibility that men in your own life could be perpetrators of the very thing that you purport to push back against? Do you stand by your beliefs or do they just not run deep enough? Because Mm -hmm. I don't think they run deep enough if you cannot take a step back and look at the possibility that someone you know might be a perpetrator of it. That said, I'm not going to pretend it would be easy. I am more than sure that if this happened in my own life and somebody that I knew or somebody that I had worked with or somebody that I was close to was accused of something that I despise, I would struggle. But I think it's really important for our feminism and for our active and for our advocacy to be able to separate ourselves and the theory of what we stand for with the reality. Absolutely. It would be hard, but you have to do it. Totally. I think it takes a huge amount of self-awareness and self-awareness that Scarlett Johansson, I don't think has. She definitely doesn't display it. Because here's the thing. Someone in Scarlett Johansson's position needs to acknowledge the power dynamic at play. It is irrelevant how a person treats an A-list actress who serves them, who pays their bills, who gets their movies to perform well, compared to how they allegedly treat a very vulnerable, very young, very impressionable seven, eight or nine-year-old. It is worlds apart. It is not a defense to say, oh, Woody Allen has always been lovely to me. He's so friendly and caring and therefore he can't be capable of these things when you are literally paying his bills and giving him clout. Your power dynamic gives no insight whatsoever into how he might treat people in other different varying power dynamics. It is so, so, so incredibly dangerous for us to assume that our experience of a person is indicative of their character in its entirety because people can be duplicitous. People can be so different based on where you sit in the power dynamic compared to them, particularly people in power like Woody Allen. Well, particularly perpetrators of this stuff because they are by virtue of probably who they are, very manipulative too. There is a lot of Lena Dunham to this story, I think, and that's the thing that I've kept coming back to in all of my reading, in that I know him, I believe him, he must be the person I know him to be. During the Me Too movement, when it was exploding, actress Aurora Perrineau, as we've spoken about on this podcast, filed sexual assault charges against former girls writer Murray Miller. She said in 2012 he raped her. Lena Dunham came out in the wake of those accusations and said that... 
She believed it to be a lie that Aurora was in the 3% of women who lie about rape cases. And I think it's absolutely what you just touched on. Your personal relationship with this person isn't relevant here at all, particularly when the power dynamic exists like that. He can be nice to you and a nightmare to others. That's the reality. And I think it's incredibly A, close-minded and be a little bit arrogant as we keep coming back to. Completely arrogant. To assume that your experience is everybody's experience, right? And that your character assessment, as John Levitt's touched on, is the correct one. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not acknowledging your privilege. Your privilege is your power in this situation. Yes, he's probably not doing anything remotely dangerous or upsetting to Scarlett Johansson because she's one of the most famous, rich, recognisable, powerful women in the world and in the industry. I think... And it upsets me to say this, but I think women like Scarlett Johansson have jumped on the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement because it's clout and it was socially... It was trendy. It was trendy to do so. It was absolutely trendy to do so because you can talk the talk as much as you want, but when it comes to walking the walk, Scarlett Johansson only walks the walk for white rich women. She doesn't do it for any minority. She doesn't do it for anyone who needs her assistance or anyone below her. She only does it when it suits her and it's so frustrating. I'm not surprised that people are really struggling with her personality in the industry because again and again and again, she has proven that she only wants to be a feminist when she gets something out of it. Well, I also think the other thing we should touch on here is there is incredible amounts of hypocrisy in the things that Scarlett Johansson does, right? So whether or not you think Woody Allen did the things he's accused of or whether you think he doesn't, it's absolutely worth considering that in a passionate speech at the Women's March in Los Angeles, Johansson called out James Franco for being a hypocrite for sitting in the Golden Globes audience with a Time's Up anti-harassment movement pin on his lapel just before he faced allegations of sexual misconduct hours later. She said, how could a person publicly stand by an organisation that helps to provide support for victims of sexual assault while privately preying on people who have no power? She cannot possibly come out and crucify someone like James Franco who also denies those allegations if she's not going to do the same with Woody Allen. That hypocrisy is quite staggering to me. It's also very interesting that she was one of the only Hollywood actresses who never came out against Harvey Weinstein. Again, because she said Harvey Weinstein had always treated her with kindness and respect, which again is completely and utterly irrelevant to the case at hand. Coming back to ScarJo's privilege though as well, because we are coming back to her incredible amounts of privilege. I think this stat is pretty horrifying in the amount of privilege that she experiences in the industry because in August, Forbes listed the Black Widow star as the highest paid actress in Hollywood, earning $56 million in 2019 after both of those casting controversies. Mm. Put those controversies with anyone else and they'd probably be crippled. I think coming back to your original question in that, does she have a right to believe who she wants to believe? Of course, she can believe whoever the fuck she wants. That's her prerogative. I think she also has a right to say it if she really desperately wants to, but we have just as much a right to call out her hypocrisy, to call out her lack of nuance in her response. And I think there was a great quote in a Metro piece I read this week by Emma Kelly who said, not everyone is born super woke. It's a process and a learning curve and everyone makes mistakes. But to keep doubling down on them is more than just a naive error. It's careless. And there's massive amounts of privilege and carelessness that exudes Scarlett Johansson right now in the things that she's saying and the things that she's doing. I think she just needs to be more self-aware. Like... You have to get outside your own ego and the ego has to be so big to think that your opinion is the correct one. Yes, we all have opinions, but when you come out and you say that you think Woody Allen is innocent, 
also back that up by saying, but you know what? I wasn't there. I don't know. My opinion on Woody Allen isn't everyone's opinion and my position isn't everyone else's position. Be self-aware enough to know where you stand in respect to the other people around you. I think she completely lacks self-awareness in a lot of what she does and it's pretty unforgivable at this stage. She's 34. Wise up. And the other thing is be self-aware about the fact your advocacy means nothing when you only advocate for things that serve you. This week, the most read piece on Man Repeller was one titled, What Happens When I'm No Longer Impressive for My Age? In the story, writer Eliza Dumay talks a lot about how so often in our 20s, our age is an identifier and a signifier. She writes about how we're fixated on finding success in our youth and being the youngest one in every room. Mish, the piece clearly struck a chord and hit a nerve with Man Repeller's audience. Did it for you? Absolutely. I think this really hit the mood. I think it really reminded me actually of a very, very viral meme from a few years ago. You'll probably recognize it, Zara. It said, at 23, JK Rowling was broke. Tina Fey was working at the YMCA. Oprah had just been fired as a TV reporter and Walt Disney had declared bankruptcy. It's going to be okay. I always found that meme so interesting because it taps into that feeling that at 23, we're all racing to get somewhere and we all have this anxiety that we're not going to get where we want to go. I also find it interesting in the kind of synchronicity that that meme's targeted at people who are age 23 and this Man Repeller article is written by someone at a very similar age at 24. I think that middle part of your 20s is when we're freshly out of university or freshly out of whatever kind of tertiary education we might have done or course we pursued or whatever it might be, whatever your path is. And I think that's the first time in your life where you're really out in the wild on your own and you're clambering to try and make something of yourself and you're stressed about how to find the career ladder and where your ladder even is. Well, because you're at the bottom of the food chain Mm. and when you're at the bottom of the food chain, you're absolutely right. You don't know what that ladder is. I have to say, I think initially when I read this, I struggled a tiny bit, not because of the sentiment. I understood and appreciated the sentiment, but I thought that it was all so tied to ego. It's kind of like the world's biggest humble brag to paint yourself as an overachiever and say, what happens when I'm not young and successful anymore? I'm just successful. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And to a point, I think it is about ego. I think this is all about ego, but it's also about so much more than that. I think it's about the Instagramification of work. And I I feel like we've just concocted this word today and I'm really (laughs) standing by it. The Instagramification of work and the pressure to make something of yourself before your life is even sorted, like the pressure to be that mid-20s whiz kid. Well, it reminds me of this hustle mentality, right? I mean, that that hustle mood has really promulgated across Instagram and it's everywhere. It's so, so popular to push this entrepreneurial spirit and this entrepreneurial drive on Instagram. There's this idea that if you're young and you are digitally savvy and you have access to the internet, then you can get anywhere and do anything. And it really does create this sense of anxiety and pressure that I definitely sometimes feel behind. I know the people in our Facebook group are constantly talking about feeling behind or feeling like they're not where they want to be yet. It's like we're all in a race and we're all trying to figure out what place is brandished across the front of our shirt. We're trying to figure out where we are in competition with one another and it's stressful. Well, I think the most light bulb moment for me reading this story was when she touched on those 30 under 30 lists and you'll see them everywhere. Forbes do them all the time, 30 under 30 in a million different industries. And I absolutely think we fetishize and glorify the 30 under 30. I think they've become like an institution in and of themselves, highlighting and platforming young overachievers, which is an okay thing. But I think it means we have like this cultural obsession with success and that almost exclusively means youth success. 
There was a really interesting story that I read in Slate, I think, and it was from 2011 when I was doing some reading about this. Old school. I know, right? And Simon Doonan wrote in a piece titled The Worst of the Youth with a stand first that says, why do we fetishize and overpraise the young? A line that was just, youth is the new global currency. Mm. And it does come back to that whiz kid thing where it's like they are young and they are dynamic and they are super successful and that is the definition of success. It's almost like the virality of the internet as well, right? With the internet, we know that things can explode overnight and we also know that to be true with businesses, particularly social media businesses or influencers or creators and that literally overnight you can become a success story. And so it's this this metric of speed instead of height. We want to get big really, really quickly. Do you think that means experience is worthless? How do you mean? In terms of like you need experience less than you did years ago because you can kind of make something of yourself with nothing. Well, yeah, potentially because I think the new version of success that is shared so widely online is digital success. Yeah. So we're looking at subscribe accounts and follow accounts and listen accounts and whatever it might be and that's different to any other point in history. I think the digitization of the workforce has meant that we have all kind of reshaped what it means to be a successful business person. Instead of just a dollar amount, we're looking at a follow account and a community account but I do think that our fixation on speed also means a fixation on constancy and that we are all tying ourselves quite young and quite early to an idea of what we want to do and where we want to go and it kind of means that we're all stuck on this one path and we don't have as much lateral movement there was a great quote in this man repeller piece that was actually from the writer's friend's father who said to her, you know, people your age tend to forget how they can move sideways. Sometimes moving sideways will make you happier than moving forward. I definitely feel that. I so feel that because we all feel like we're on this race. None of us are looking to our periphery. It was a beautiful quote and I really do think that the middle-aged men, the wise middle-aged men were the hero of this story (laughs) because there was another great quote where the writer said, my father, a therapist now in his late 50s, told me recently that he believed his age was no longer relevant. All of middle age is murky territory, he said. It's funny that for you, being in your early 20s is central to your sense of self. For me, age is just sort of outside of my own field of vision. And I think that is so, so true. We hold our age so close to ourselves because I think we use it as a safety blanket. It's our fallback. If I don't have things sorted, it's fine. I'm only X age. And I think the minute you grow up, you lose that safety net you're relying on you and only you to explain your achievements. Sorry to keep bringing memes into this, but I think memes are so relevant because they tap into the mood so well, Have you seen that meme where it's like uh, turning 21, yay, turning 22, yay, turning 23, wait, turning 24, fuck. That is so true. I remember getting to 24 and now I'm 25 and every new birthday, I kind of reflect on the previous 12 months and go, well, what have I achieved? Where am I going? I'm getting older now. And there's so much conversation about the difference between your early 20s and your mid 20s. And there are lots of memes that compare the two, especially early 20s and late 20s, like early 20s, uh, a good night out is like staying out till 4am, drinking tequila. A great night when you're 29 is staying home and being in bed at 9 p.m. I think we constantly look at our 20s as two opposite ends of the spectrum. And as we get closer to our late 20s, we do feel this impending sense of doom or something that we need to figure ourselves out ASAP. Well, it's literally like we use each age in our 20s as an identifier and a signifier Mm. as to what am I and what am I doing? I also think this has so much to do with that idea of workism that's gaining a bunch of traction at the moment. 
Uh, Derek Thompson wrote a really brilliant piece for The Atlantic about workism and how we're also hooked to our jobs and it's making us really unhappy. And Helen Peterson wrote a story for BuzzFeed about burnout that we've spoken about on this podcast that she's actually turned into a book. Those two have actually done a really interesting interview on The Ezra Klein Show, by the way, if you actually do want to get a bit more of a sense of why we're also hooked to work. Because we are so defined by our jobs and our job titles rather than who we are as people at the moment, I think, especially when we're in our 20s. I think our identities are in our output work-wise, not our output socially. I think our social clout too is even about what we do for work, not who we are as people. Yeah, I agree with that. Do you think personally for a second, do you think you tie too much of your worth to your work? Yes, I think I tie all of my worth to my work. And I think it's probably ironic that we're having this conversation right now and we're more invested in work than we've ever been. And I think that's the strangest part for me is being able to think about these things in theory and yet still doing everything I can to put things into work. And I think while I do feel fulfilled by work and we are literally giving every, I would say almost every part of ourselves to work at the moment. I mean, our boyfriends get a little, like the dregs. But this is the thing. I've never <laughs> felt more like I've had my shit together less outside of work. Like I've yeah. never felt like my shit is together less outside of work. I don't see my friends enough. I don't give them nearly enough attention or nearly as much attention as they deserve. I don't give my family the attention they deserve. Mm. I think half the time when I am with my boyfriend, my mind is in my work. I don't book appointments. My whole life is in my car. And that's fine. You will... We're having a great time over here, guys. But, it's, but I'm happy. Like genuinely, I'm happy and I'm yeah. fulfilled. But truthfully, I don't feel like I'm good company at the moment. And I feel like whichever way I turn, I'm letting someone down. Mm. Like genuinely, that's how I feel. I was probably should have just written a column about this rather than said this on the podcast. What I to say? <laughs> this is definitely a piece of writing, not a segment for the podcast. But I think there is worth in recognizing that too, in that even if your work is going well, you still don't have to feel like the best version of yourselves. And I think, like I said, those things are important to note. No one has it all. Making something of yourself at this stage in your life comes at the expense of a lot of other things. Yeah. And I'm sure there are so many women listening to this right now in their 30s, 40s and 50s who are rolling their eyes because I think, again, we're not just attaching our value to our work, we're attaching it to our age. And there's a bit of ageism here. There I know in myself is. that I feel shinier the younger I am. Like if I could fix myself to an age forever, it'd probably be 24. I felt, I remember feeling at 24, I'm like, this is great. People take me seriously, but I'm still young. And that's ageism coming out that I worry that as I age, I will become less shiny, less glittery. And that's something we've all internalized because youth has been commodified so much. It says a lot about how much value we've placed on being new and being shiny and being fresh when really so much richness and so much value comes from people double our age, triple our age. Did you ever remember that piece that Jenna Price wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald? I think it was in 2017. And she said, on my 60th birthday, this is what I wish I knew 30 years ago. And she wrote in that story that if you're in your 30s and 40s, this column is my birthday gift to you. You have at least 30 years of work ahead of you. The desperate need to succeed by your current age is a trace, a remnant of time when most people were dead or at least incapacitated by the time we got to the age that I am now. Mm. And I thought that was really brilliant. And I remember reading that at the time and thinking, I mean, if only for a fleeting moment, that maybe it's okay to slow down and not rush. And like I said, it's it feels almost hypocritical because I still feel like I'm in such a rush. But I guess the more conversations like this we have, the more ingrained those feelings will be. Another thought has just popped up into my mind really quickly as well. Do you think we feel the time crunch because we're concerned about reaching our 30s because that's synonymous with us, in particular with wanting to have kids? No, truthfully. And that I want to squeeze as much of my career in now and I want to climb the career ladder as high as I can now because I am really terrified that when I have kids the system 
in general will mean that I'm slowed down and I'm worried about that as a woman. That's an anxiety for me. No, and I don't think that that is an irrational anxiety by any stretch. I think it's the truth. Like it's so sad, but it's true. And therefore I wonder if women feel this pressure more to succeed in their 20s in their career more than men do. No, they absolutely do. I've just had a light bulb moment. Because I, I know from conversations with my sister, it's exactly the same. Like our careers are meticulously planned from about the age of 23. Like mm. it is that hotspot of 23 where you start planning it out meticulously year by year because if you want to be married or have kids by a certain age, things might have to slow down. Mm. And that's not us slowing things down. That is literally... The system's slowing us down. I know it's absolutely something, even with my sister Evelyn, who's doing a medicine degree right now, where she's thinking about what specialty she wants to go into as a doctor and she needs to account for, okay, well, what's going to be family friendly? If I'm going to be a mum, am I going to be out of parent and do night shifts? Am I going to be out of parent and be on call all the time? Do I need to look at a nine to five kind of job in the medicine field? I think it's something that women in their 20s need to take on board more. I mean, Evelyn's 23. It's something we probably need to internalize and figure out more than the men in our lives do because there is still a disparity in how we divvy up housework and and childcare. And so with that, we've probably done a full 180 because we've told everybody to slow down, but then told them that the system will work against them. So don't slow down at all. Keep working really fast and work yourself into the ground. Happy Monday. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. I really, I would love people to come into the Facebook group and have a conversation about this. We will start a thread because I am genuinely interested in whether people feel the pressure, feel the rush and strategies to work against that. Mm. And for anyone who feels really sick about their 20s and are about needing to get there fast and about needing to climb the ladder fast, I do really want to read you out a little excerpt from Elizabeth Day's book, How to Fail. She wrote an entire chapter on feeling like you're failing in your 20s. And this is one of the most beautifully phrased paragraphs that I've read in a really long time about your 20s. However much you might feel like you're failing at your 20s when you're living through them, they are a necessary crucible. Your 20s are spices in a mortar and pestle that must be ground up by life in order to release your fullest flavor by the end of them you'll have more heart and you'll have more guts that's so lovely what a beautiful way to finish well done michelle and well done elizabeth day thank you guys so much for listening as always thank you for being so supportive we are on instagram at shameless podcast we are on facebook at shameless podcast community we are indeed we are independent podcasters so if you want to support two 25-year-old women trying to climb the career ladder <laughs> who are <laughs> rushing to get there. Uh, what else can you do? Subscribe to us, but also take a screenshot of you listening to Shameless or any Shameless Media podcast and pop that up on your Instagram story and recommend that your friends check it out too because that is actually how a lot of our listeners find us, Sarah. It absolutely is. And Sydney signers, remember, your live show tickets are going on sale tomorrow at 12pm. I am buzzing with excitement to go on our I'm live show so, tour. so, so excited. Please keep an eye on our socials we will keep you updated and other than that we will be in your ears on Thursday with another In Conversation Hooray Love you guys Have a great week We will be back in your ears ASAP 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 Oh hi It's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret Woo Woo We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now Every damn Friday morning We are in your ears That is so exciting What a time to be in your ear holes So essentially each episode we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in -hmm. their lives Which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us It's absolutely all of us, don't lie You all love gossip So if you want to listen to to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.